Hi, my name is Tom Reardon, and welcome to the Cookieless Present. Today, I'm sitting with Chris Williams, Chief Marketing Officer at ARIMA. Prior to joining ARIMA, Chris worked at the Association of Canadian Advertisers and was president of IAB Canada. Chris, before we get started today, would you mind giving the audience a quick intro to ARIMA and then talk a little bit about your roles and priorities as CMO? Sure. Thanks, Tom. Um, yeah, I mean, as you as you pointed out, I've been doing some things on the association side. And uh, in my 30 years of working with digital advertising, this is my first startup. Um, and so it's pretty exciting to get into the the sort of the, the cutting edge stuff where, you know, people are building out code, offering new things, um, and the challenge of establishing some sort of new concepts and new approaches to, to things that have been around for quite a long time. And I mean that that that's pretty much the 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 job, right? Of of sort of creating the awareness, getting on the agenda, talking to people about how they do things now and how you know things should evolve over time with legislation and what Apple and Google are up to and all that stuff. So it's uh it's a good time to be in the transformation of digital yet again. Sure. So you were um, you're doing your association tour, of, of which, uh, as you mentioned, you got a good amount of experience and coverage across two to the big Canadian ones. Um, were, was there kind of writing on the wall, or were there stories you were hearing from um, your your customers at the association, advertisers, agencies that made you think um, Arima was uh, the place to be, or, or this mission of um, idealist measurement was something that you needed to focus on? For sure. Yeah, I mean it. it um... It's been going on for a long time, looking at how sort of these metrics uh, are collected. And um, one of the things that uh, started that journey was, um, you know, we were having a discussion uh, about ad fraud and sophisticated invalid traffic. And this happened a long time ago when it when it first sort of jumped out into the Wall Street Journal and the, you know, the the uh, discussion with uh with uh, Michael Tiffany, who was leading that charge. Mm -hmm. And and it became a question of like, well, what's actually real in this uh, internet world of, you know, trying to separate, you know, human activity versus bot activity. And um, it's not just about the targeting. Like, you know, people do focus on the the IDs for the targeting and the building of profiles uh, for targeting. Um, but the other part of it, and probably the the bigger part of it, is the connection between the media exposure and conversions. Mm -hmm. So essentially, what what has been always known as like last touch attribution or multi touch attribution. Um, and so when you start looking into these identifiers and trying to figure out, you know, what's real and what's not, you know, one of the the questions was always, are these conversions actually real? Um, and and how how much of that is 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 just sort of messy bots landing on on uh, firing conversion pixels, you know, to improve their their uh, cost or their their yield in the programmatic space, and mm -hmm. and you, that's when you start getting into some pretty uh, sort of nasty stuff that's happening in the ecosystem where there's literally millions of dollars being slushed around, um, uh, and the system is being gamed, and and so. I mean that that's kind of weird, but it, it did it did lead me to to uh, um, getting us to join the the media rating council out of New York, and and working with uh, George and Ron Pinelli there, and and trying to understand a lot better about invalid traffic, where does it come from, and the effect on the system, which which was what we were doing at at ACA. 
Um, but it does sort of lead you to an area of like, are these cookies, you know, really as, as good as they sound? Um, you know, and, and I do believe that we we're in an area where there's a false sense of precision around things like, you know, cost per acquisition on, on things just because of the, uh, potential for sophisticated and valid traffic against the conversion pixel. And I know that's very much in the weeds, but I, I think the point is, um, that's a pretty critical, uh, metric that is being brought back to advertisers to say, you know, here's your cost per acquisition on platform X versus platform Y, and here's how we've optimized it. And, you know, there's a lot of activity around the, this, this sort of, uh, bridge between the media and the conversion, uh, that, that is, uh, that is actually quite messy. Right. Totally. Okay. So that's fascinating. So it really started with invalid traffic and this idea that cookies at times might not represent a person. Um, and you leaned in or you retracted at least first from the measurement angle. So this is true. If cookies don't always represent a person, maybe, maybe some of these conversions aren't actually as, as meaningful as we thought they were. Um, how does Arima um, solve that? So, so going, going from what you observed in the, the associations to your, your job now, um, how does Arima help help sort of tackle that? Yeah, I mean, the, I, I think everything that that is old is actually new again. You know, when you start um, going into some of these areas where there's a challenge about, you know, like how do we measure things, you go back to tried and true sort of principles and say, okay, well, we know a couple of things that are sort of hard metrics. Number one is there's the amount of money that's going in from the marketing budget into each of the channels. I mean, that's a guarantee, right? Because that, that's actual money. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> On the other side, there's actual money coming out in terms of sales. So there's a lot of data around both of, both ends of those spectrums. And, and the, the mushy middle is, is, is where the problems lie. <clears throat> so, but if you look at, at, at uh, going back to, the, back to the future, I guess, you know, marketing mixed modeling started in 1949, I think it was. And, you know, you take this principle and say, okay, well, you've got money in and money out. And in the middle, you have a bunch of math. Um, you can suss out what's working and what's not working. Now, it's not, you know, people would say, oh, it's not deterministic. And you say, well, clearly, you know, the cookies aren't as deterministic as we, as we thought in terms of that false sense of precision. So we're always making some sort of compromise in some way. Um, and so when I started to investigate what marketing mix modeling has done in the past, and what it can do now in the future that, you know, computing power is like, you know, monstrously larger than it was, you know, even 10 years ago. The data flows are faster. Uh, the demands are bigger. There's more fragmentation in terms of media challenges. The marketer not only wants to understand the various effects of media, but they also want to understand the effects of interest rates, COVID, uh, trade promotions, um, influencers. You know, so you have a wide scope. It all leads you towards something that is, you know, at the scope of marketing mix modeling, but evolved marketing mix modeling. So taking the data that we can get out of, you know, large platforms and uh, whether there are things like Adobe or whether it's Google or whatever, and, and bring it into the marketing mix modeling and make it faster, cheaper, more actionable, um, you know, just a, a better marketing mix model which of course doesn't rely on on cookies or identifiers. So so we're uh, taking that out of that that sort of problem out of the spectrum and advancing on on very old principles. But it's interesting Chris because it doesn't seem like that's the main problem you're solving. It seems more like you're solving the media effectiveness measurement challenge that advertisers have wrestled with for decades 
and you're leaning in on recent tech advancements, um, trying to drive parameterization with your um, your customers, your agencies, your advertisers, how they actually store information in a way that can be used um, the right way. But when, when you and I had orig uh, originally connected, we were talking about um, how MMM is a great solution for cookie lists, but it was really the last point you mentioned. Um, you, you actually believe in MMM regardless of what's happening um, with, with the ID landscape because you just think it's going to be better than um, cookie-based tracking, even, even if cookie-based tracking was to continue to exist. Yeah, I mean, IDs are, are uh, like, like, first of all, you don't have to rely on an ID for an MMM. And, mm -hmm. and so there's like this one path that says, you know, let's evolve MMM. Um, if we can bring in some personas and bring in some other, you know, metrics into the thing, that may that may improve MMM along the way. Um, and there's a lot of activity in the development of MMM or the evolution of MMM further than what it is. And we'll see where that goes. Um, that that in itself is exciting. On the the point that you you talked about of of like, you know, what do we do with other types of identifiers and the value of identifiers within the system? In some cases, I think that you can use them uh, tactically. So, you know, if you are working within a specific platform and it does offer some type of identifier, whether it's a cookie or whether it's a some other type of ID, you know, potentially there is some targeting uh, advantage in there. And, and that remains to be seen at, at, at lower levels. I think the point is to, to disengage between the targeting and the evaluation. So if you want to work with platform A and use their targeting, profile targeting or whatever, um, you can tag that in a way um, that also shows up at the MMM level to say, look, did it work, right? Because you don't want to rely on that platform to give you the sense of not only, you know, give us your media money and we'll show you that it works. You, you want to say, okay, I'm going to use your tactic or I'm going to use your media or whatever, but I want to evaluate it on a neutral scoreboard. Uh, aside from how how you, how that particular platform does it, now when you get into the platform of of the MMM side, right, the uh, uh, data science platform, um, there's a lot of metrics in there that are not only valuable to the advertiser in terms of ROAS per channel and ROAS over time, uh, but there's also metrics in there that could be really useful to publishers and ad uh, uh, media vendors and also to agencies. You know, let's say for instance you're a a media vendor and you have a new product and you're trying to figure out the value of that product, you know, if you wanted to, to collaborate, you could help to see, you know, what is the ROAS in that product that you've developed and see if you can improve it in some way and work together between, you know, buyer and seller to figure out what's, what's the value of these things. That seems like a much more honest um, and collaborative way to approach adding in new ad formats um, as opposed to just assuming everything new is good and is going to perform great. Um, yeah, I mean, so. if it's set up that way, I mean, a, a lot of that has to do with contracting and working collaboratively in terms of data access. Right, right. But I don't see a reason why why MMM can't be a, a sort of a hub for agencies and and vendors and and buyers to come together and share certain views of the data that's that's generated through marketing mix modeling. I love that. Um, in, in terms of MMM for Canada versus the U.S., are there major differences in how they get executed? Um, do the way that we draw geographic boundaries, does that play a big factor? Yeah, it's a, I mean, first of all, obviously the United States is like, what, 18, 20 times bigger than Canada. So, um, you know, we're, we're kind of like a, a California off to the side, really. Mm -hmm. um, the, 
Obviously, the differences are there's privacy legislation that is is different in Canada versus the United States. And even within the United States, now you've got CCPA in California. And that's going to affect how you can target and measure things because of the consumer having a certain amount of power to to determine how their identities and their their data is going to be used, both in the targeting and the the measurement of things. So that's a big difference. Canada's lived with privacy law for well over 20 years. And uh, it's becoming more aggressive. So that means that, uh, you know, identifiers are going to be treated a little bit more uh, closer to what you'd see in the Euro- in Europe with GDPR. Um, in terms of the market, the uh, United States has basically more money per, uh, more marketing money per, per population. So you've got people who are willing to take a lot more risk with their media investments and their technology investments, and they'll try things. And they'll try things aggressively and, and really test it out. In Canada, it's it's uh, it's uh, there's less money, there's less tar- tech startup, and uh, so it's a much more conservative market, and um, so it's it's a little bit more challenging to to try things out here. Uh, in Canada, we have postal codes, uh, which are a geographic lens to look at the population, and um, in in states you have zip code, which is a, a much broader sort of uh, or DMAs, which are much broader. Than, than postal codes. So there's a difference in how we look at our sort of geo-cohorting structure, which gets into the weeds of things. Nonetheless, there's still census blocks or zip plus four to create really granular uh, geo-cohorting approaches. And that becomes uh, very interesting when you get into the hyper-local approach uh, to, to targeting and measurement. Um, again, like let's say you're, you're dealing with thousands of franchisees across the country I mean, they they sort of get they know that there's a, an umbrella national campaign going on, but they're really interested in their local community of how many people are coming to my franchise, how many people are coming to my store, and who are the people that are within drive distance of my area, and how do I reach them with search and 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 social and billboards and and radio and all sorts of things, which becomes the combination between sort of like the hyper hyper local media targeting. And also being able to to establish local regional MMMs, mm. bring that together to show you know that there's a sort of the the national layer, and then there's regional layers of measurement that can be brought to bear. Well, just like in the U.S., I mean, you have these nice tidy cohorts of postal codes that uh, many media companies store data on, advertisers store data on. Um, agencies are are keeping data on. Why not deploy those? Um, why not make better use of those? Yeah, for sure. I mean, geography is is a I think is a at this point is just under underdeveloped or underrepresented in in the discussion around targeting and and measurement. I mean, there's obviously there's some some great companies doing you know have that have been there for a long time, um, but so much of the heated discussion has been around you know cookies versus IDs, and we're creating these you know, uh, IDs that are across, you know, multiple different DSPs and things like that. And that sort of has stifled, I think, the conversation about the power of geography. Mm. And it, it, I think I think a lot of that has been just the the fueling of ad tech that, that that's like, oh, boy, you know, we have this, you know, this platform uh, that that is, you know, millions and millions of profiles and cookies and stuff that are already sitting there. And they're trying to sort of continually uh, evolve the, the the what it can do with these identifiers, you know, into the future. But we have to recognize at some point in time, 
you know, identifiers uh, can be a big problem uh, and, and not just a big problem within the uh, advertising or marketing sphere. Um, it becomes a much bigger problem at the society level, you know, when you have a database of, of every single individual in, in the country with all of their profiling it's, and their movement data, um, you start to, to, to look at it a little bit differently, I think. I think it's a great point. And it, it's fascinating that that's become the default route for most um, marketers is to pursue that level of tracking um, rather than try something simpler. But I think you're right that um, ad tech has created the situation where we're attracted to, to uh, complexity, technology, large lists of user IDs. I mean, it's the world I come from as well. So I mm-hmm. think it's a pro- product of our own doing. Um, let me, I'll, I'll use that to kind of to kind of drive you towards our last question. Then, when you when you look at your peers, when you look at um, advertisers and, and agencies that you speak with, how how are we doing on addressing uh, the changes to the ideal landscape that we're seeing? Do you do you think to your last point, are we a bit distracted on some of the higher tech solutions? Um, do you think that uh, we're getting a good dose of that and a good dose of kind of the simpler uh, way of viewing things, um, like like you're you're trying to sell or? What's kind of your assessment of, of our, our status today? Mm. I think uh, two things. One is is there's sort of the uh, amortizing of previous investment. So, I mean, there's been a lot of investment into identifiers as a concept or as a framework. You know, we need to track down to the individual, make the individual available as an impression in the bid request and sort out pricing, you know, uh, through that and then attribution towards the end. And that that's kind of like the... The dogma right now of of digital advertising, digital marketing is everything is you know the right ad to the right person at the right time, which is something we've been saying for a long time. And um, we have to recognize, I think, that there needs to be a different approach if digital advertising is going to mature and understand its place in the whole marketing ecosystem. Um, Identified identified media, meaning media that has some kind of identifier attached to it, whether it's a cookie or whatever, is only about 50% of the, the marketing budget, right. right? Like you still have trade promotions, you still have end dials, you still have radio, terrestrial radio, you still have linear TV, you know. So in terms of a framework, you're only ever with with, with IDs going to address half the market. And that means if you're going to try and and sort of as a marketer look at your entire marketing budget and how it's deployed and you're going to be asked the question you know should i put money into let's say terrestrial radio versus something that has an identifier you're blind as to how you do that unless you adopt something like mmm so you have to get into cross media world which means that you have to sort of uh leave behind the, the identifier world and get into something that's more probabilistic in terms of the attribution. So that means MMM and it means more probabilistic at the, at the planning level. Mm. And, and, and so what that means is you want to have a planning module at the front end that can do all of the things across all media and sort of come to reach and frequency campaigns, including MMM uh, influence into the, the reach and frequency uh, campaign. And what that means is you want to do two things. One is you want to move to a sort of geographic lens because that's the Rosetta Stone that brings all media together. And the second thing is, is something that is very difficult right now to explain to people, but we're getting there, which is to get into synthetic data. Mm-hmm. And why you want to do this is when you're, when you're stuck with identifiers, then you're, then you're looking at match rates. 
you know, you as an advertiser have a certain amount of data and the seller has a certain amount of data and you have to match, you know, based on email addresses, phone numbers, whatever. But your match rate is going to be whatever it is. So you're not going to get everybody that you're looking for and they, they don't have everybody and you don't have everybody. So you get into a place where even if at best you have, let's say, 70% match, you know, you're still missing huge parts of your um, target. Now, synthetic data doesn't have that problem. Um, what we built out is a synthetic population. We call it the synthetic society. In Canada, there's 38 million Canadians, and we have 38 million synthetic Canadians in our database. Each of those 38 million have about 5,000 attributes attached to them. The beauty about synthetic data is because it's synthetic, privacy law does not apply as long as you don't add in any sort of identifiers that's tracked back to a person, like a specific person. Literally, it is a, a fictional person that has been synthesized from a wide variety of data sets, things like the census. Um, and we're at the very beginning right now of understanding what we can do with synthetic data in the marketing group. Um, synthetic data has been used in medical for quite a long time uh, because of the sensitivity of, of the health data that needs to get used for research. And uh, so when you look at the, the advances that have been done in the medical sphere, you say, well, why can't we just do that in marketing? And why don't we just use synthetic populations in marketing and, and abandon or not or, or sort of deprecate, you know, these, these uh deterministic cookie-based profiling systems. Anyway, it's it gets great, very complicated, but it's 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 pretty interesting stuff. I think it's fascinating, and, and it's a great way to bridge the gap between um using the data assets that you have um in terms of of one-to-one um and taking advantage of um, geographic data sets and kind of establishing an intersection. I love what you guys are doing with, with synthetic society. Yeah. It's, it's kind of about, it's like finding about finding out about the data that you don't have. Hmm. Right. Cause everyone's like, oh, we got first party data, first party data. And you're all excited about it. It's like, yeah, but you don't have first party data on everybody in the country. Right. Unless I, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the government does, but, uh, but the thing is you need to be able to balance the uh, or compare the the first party data that you have against a truth set to understand where your indices lie, and, and, and not totally ignore the consumers that you don't have that sort of information. Yeah. Those are your prospects, right? Like you know, even even the largest banks or the largest car companies, I mean, they don't have data about every single person in the country, and and you know their footprints are very large. Uh, but if they want to grow in in certain areas, they have to to be able to find you know where are those prospects. Uh, and what are those prospects doing and how can we bring them into, you know, turning them into leads and converting them The usual stuff? Right, right, sure. All right, well, thanks, Chris. I think that's a great note for us to end on today. Super appreciate you making time to chat um, and sharing your insights with our audience. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for for inviting me, Tom. I really appreciate our chats. Uh, um, I hope you're doing well with uh, Sugar Free and, and all of that and, and hope things are doing well. Well, thank, thank you. Appreciate that, Chris. Um, and okay. for our audiences, if you enjoyed this conversation, go ahead and click the subscriber bell on my profile to follow me. And if you want to learn about the fastest way to get the benefits of ditching the cookie, head to sugarfreeadvertising.com or drop me a DM. Thanks for joining. Okay. Cheers.